Don't give up on 2020 just yet, nonprofits. This episode is chock full of great news, good ideas, and strategies on how you can improve and potentially start your first end-of-year giving appeal. All this right now. Small Shop Fundraising is brought to you by Griffin Fundraising and Marketing, a consulting firm here to help nonprofits with their fundraising and marketing goals. Go to gfmky.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising, a podcast dedicated to small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. I am your host, Liz Hack. We are joined by a uh, guest we've had on the show before. Susan Griffin is the founder of Griffin Fundraising and Marketing in Louisville, Kentucky, and also happens to be my mom. We are a family-owned firm, and I work with Susan uh, for the last, what, 10 years now? 10 years. 10 years in marketing and fundraising. So she was so gracious to come back on because we are talking about end of year giving and especially end of year giving in 2020. It's been kind of a, to put it in a positive way, a unicorn kind of year for our entire country. We have a president elect right now. We have had a pandemic on top of mind for several months and we are dealing as a country with systemic racism so a lot to unpack there on a daily basis, and then nonprofits have to consider what to do with their end-of-year giving. As most professionals in fundraising know, the end-of-year gift is, calendar gift, is very important because there's opportunities and national trends year over year of that being when individual gifts are at, its, at their peak for the year, I would say. And so this is an opportunity for uh, fiscal and calendar year organizations to meet budgets, to meet goals, and even exceed goals if they do it right. So for small to medium-sized nonprofits, an end-of-year gift plan is really important, even in a pandemic. Susan, you did some research before today, and you want to share any of the research with us before we get started with strategies? Sure. Thank you, Liz. Uh, yes, I think that one of the things I was concerned about before I started looking at all the research, because what I'd heard up until the time that I start really digging in, uh, it, I felt as if the, what the message was going to be is that because of the economy, because people are losing jobs, because people are losing their businesses, that giving was going to go down. As it turns out, the converse is true. Um, in a study that was dis- that was completed by the Nonprofit Alliance and the RKD Group, uh, indicates that 80% of the people plan to give the same this December as compared to what they gave last December, and only 20% are looking at having to per- to do a reduction in their giving. So that's very significant news because up to this time, there were two reports, uh, studies that were done back in the late spring in, in uh, April and May. And those, uh, the results of those studies seemed to indicate that people had given and, and they expected the con- giving to continue to drop. So we've got a fair shot, I think, at, if, with some careful planning and some careful strategy. Mm-hmm. I think nonprofits have a real uh, opportunity to 
maintain uh, at least their position from last year and perhaps to do more. And I think that is especially true for nonprofits who are somehow t tied with uh, the whole healthcare industry because healthcare is where the most gains have come in this past year in terms of giving, uh, helping those or organizations to stay in the best shape that they can stay. We can so. we can share some of these links on our on the show notes too. I, if you Google it, you'll you could find uh, the nonprofit Times in October, early October, had a article about a hot second quarter boosts twenty twenty giving past last year. So uh, people aren't forgetting about nonprofits. It's definitely something to plan for instead of skip over this year, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the first place organizations have got to start to take a, a look to be able to give their closest donors an understanding of what's happening to them in the, as a result of the pandemic is to take a look at their case for support. That's a real beginning point. To lay out very carefully to your, to your donors, current and past and, and soon to be, how the pandemic has impacted your organization and what good their gifts will continue to provide to the community and to urge their support. A tip that I read in several of the articles suggested that, that words like emergency not be used, but rather uh, an opportunity to further the mission of the organization in a strong, from a strong position, that the pandemic, while it's had a, uh, it's a negative impact on the community and on, on the organization, some good has come as a result of that. There have been some learnings. There have been some uh, new programs that have been initiated. Uh, it's a way to involve more volunteers in the organization. And new strategies have been introduced as far as relating to donors. And all those things must continue. Part of that has to be showcased in your documents. So I'm hearing uh, use of language, words that people are tired of. Yes. Don't use urgent. Don't use emergency, right? right? In your right. year in giving uh, appeals, however form they take. Yeah. People are tired of pivot, I bet, that, too. That's it. That's it. Um, well, and, what's and another a, one? <laughs> a, a lot of thank you and a lot of without you, we could not move forward. And because of you, we are moving forward. Yeah. All positive, all positive to let And directed at the donor. And directed at the donor. So that's, that never gets old. That no. is an evergreen strategy that in any appeal you can use for sure. I also heard you say, focus on the lemonade. You know, people are tired of those sour lemons, right? right. Everybody right. knows this year has been a dumpster fire. Right. So now focus on the positive things that have come from from those lemons, like the lemonade, like right. new programming or new, program. new opportunities for donors. More organizations are now using, as I'm sure you'll, as soon as I say this, you're going to go, oh yeah, we're, we're all doing a lot of Zoom calls these days. We're doing a lot of a webcast and pot and, blo and blogs out to our uh, donors and, and friends of the organization. Uh, we've learned a, many new strategies in a very short period of time uh, and have moved beyond just sending out the annual letter that goes making the request to sending out very well-timed emails and very structured short notes letting them know the status of the organization, the need, and because of you, we are able to continue our mission. Mission-driven is what people are looking for. And shortness. And shortness. We're not talking Gratitude. a two-pager, or maybe not even a one-page note. We're talking like a Christmas card yeah. with, a, with a short, hey, please yeah. learn about our yes. XYZ mission. And to offer at the same time in the short, I know it's going to take some careful crafting to get this done, 
but to offer opportunities for uh, choices to make in terms of all of the, typically this is the, the biggest time of the year for gifts to the annual operational budget, uh, to the annual fund, which supports your operational budget. But to give them, break it out a little bit, unpack it a little bit and tell them a little bit more so that you, they offer them an opportunity to sponsor a project or to sponsor a student scholarship or um, to honor someone, maybe as a Christmas gift, to uh, make a gift in the name of someone, a legacy gift so that you're setting yourself up, you're offering them the opportunity to make this gift monthly or quarterly as a legacy to uh, to a named fund or to a, a for in honor of an individual that you are uh, are thinking of. So lots of choices. Lots of choices, and not of course, just not just your in honor of or in memorial of or uh, unrestricted general fund. Right. Give them choices, and then be able to track that in your donor database. Exactly, and don't forget it. Uh, it's so important that your database be as current as possible with all the information you know about your donors. The more you know about your donors, the better appeal you can make to them because you'll know what to base it on. So, for example, if we're talking about going out and, and asking your volunteers to give to the organization, uh, if you would know what programs the volunteers have supported and have enough to, to put together a specific ask to that group of individuals who have been the volunteer core of that part of your program, that would be an appropriate thing to do for this end of the year ask. And you can do that, I think, fairly easily with uh, using email as your delivery system for your messages. I wanna talk more about if I'm a small nonprofit, right? And I uh, maybe haven't done any end of the year appeal before. Do I wanna send it to my whole database of thousands of people or should I be more specific and more targeted. If your database is capable of being broken up and you and you uh, have enough information, I would do a different letter to your top donors and your volunteers because they're giving you their, their most precious gift, which is their time. I would do a different letter and a different request of them than I would do to the to the balance of the mailing list, for example. Another group that I'm particularly interested in organizations paying more attention to are lapsed donor. If you can pull from your database people who gave two or three years ago but haven't given in that length of time, I would say now's the time to, to make a request of them because they know you your and they know the organization, they supported the mission before, and that's a much easier individual to get to come back on than to try to go after new donors with an appeal of this type at the end of the year. So those seem like really good sources. So I'm suggesting your top donors, your volunteers, and then a, uh, independent strategies for lapsed donors. So well. not everybody gets the same letter. And not everybody gets the same letter. Okay. And so that might not be thousands of people, but more a targeted list of people who are closest to the organization yes. and potentially those who might find interest in giving to the organization again, even though they didn't give last year. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Because they've known you from the past and they know what you've been up against this current year, they're more likely to come back on board to help you during this difficult time. Especially if you've been communicating to them this yes. whole time. If they've been maintained on your newsletter yeah. mailings and everything else to keep them up to date on what's hot with your, your organization. Yes. Okay. Yes. So what's the timeline for all of this? Before we came on and started recording, uh, we started talking about different appeals and how we would do it and kind of had a back and forth on how that would look. It depends. 
Yeah. yeah, if I'm a one-shop person and I've got a board who's telling me I need to do 700 things plus this whole fundraising thing to keep the doors open, three different appeals before the end before December 31st, it sounds a little daunting, Susan. It does. I know it does. And, and it may be too much, but this is what this is what we were playing with. Uh, Thanksgiving is a great time to send an appeal out because there's little mail that goes at Thanksgiving. It, more organizations have been sending in the last few years than ever before. But to be able to, to thank donors for their support in the past and let them know that because of them, you are surviving. And now you're, you're coming to them to say, thank you, but we need your help again. Thanksgiving is a great time to do that. The other two dates that are particularly important is Giving Tuesday, which this year is going to be December 1st, uh, which is a national, I think it's worldwide even, that there's, that Giving Tuesday for nonprofits across the world are going to be asking their, in, their donors to step up and, uh, and give. And that campaign is, is very high profile, and I think the results last year were something like $45 million that came in uh, to organizations as a result of the asking that went on. Uh, so that's the second timetable. And then the last one is the, the last three days of December, 12% of all giving to your organization is made during that time. So uh, if you can get attention of donors at that point, so I'm suggesting you do, if you can get your letter to your major donors and to your volunteers ready to go at Thanksgiving time, send that at Thanksgiving. On your Giving Tuesday, maybe that's the time you would do legacy. And then end of the year, anybody who's not responded to the two previous campaigns, send out again an end of the year ask to those individuals. Oof. So is this a printed piece? Is this on? Is this an email piece? I think it's an email piece. Oh, wow. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this <laughs> is a huge, this is huge uh, cutting edge stuff here with Susan Griffin. She, she typically suggests a printed piece because who gives to an email? A lot of people are given to emails. <laughs> I mean, think about if you just sit back and think about all of the emails that went out in this political campaign that we've just been through. I, I probably personally was getting fifty to a hundred emails a day asking for giving and giving me five different levels of giving that I could that I could uh, select Ooh. from. My favorite were the challenge ones. Oh yes, and the challenge <laughs> ones that were being matched, and that's another aspect you could throw in there if you have time to pull it to put it together. But, you know, uh, uh, I, as high, uh, some of the Trump stuff went as high as 800% matches. Wow. I didn't see anything that high for Biden, but I did see that for, for the Trump campaign. Yeah, I think people are used to now seeing asking being done very effectively via emails. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it has to be long. I do think it needs a little, you're going to have to think about the branding that you're going to put in that and the consistency that you want to have with it as you're sending it out. But I think it can be very effective. Yeah. Fundraising folks who have done annual appeals for years and years will tell you that every aspect of the printed piece has to be thought through. We're talking the outside envelope, the inside envelope. Yeah. If, if you add a stamp or if you don't add a stamp, if uh, how many levels of giving do you suggest? Then there's the whole letter. Is, and so there's a whole art to it as well as a science. Same goes for emails. Yes. That subject line has got to be appealing for someone to click on it. You may want to follow it up to certain people if you're savvy enough. Follow it up and connect it to your social media. Or you can connect it to some people uh, get a phone call. Or some people actually do get mail. 
because that's how they want to hear from you. There's a whole art to it. When you send it, what day you send it, if you send it more than one time, and then there's a whole data cleaning portion. You have got yeah. to have good, clean data, wouldn't you say? I'd say that. And I think if, if the most important thing of all the stuff that we've talked about, the most important thing is when you sit down to develop your plan to make those decisions, what can we accomplish in the next six weeks is what we're actually talking about. Yeah. And put that plan together and then work that plan. You may not be able to do all. So all what would you say then? Well, what is the most important? Uh, I think for the small shop, one high quality ask. When? That goes the Thanksgiving really? and then is followed up at the at the end of the year. Okay. So, but what if you only had to choose one? Then I would send it out on uh, Giving Tuesday. Really? Mm -hmm. My thought would have been probably not the last three days of December, but give it a, you know, send it out a week prior and yep. then send out a, maybe an email, reminder, Facebook, some sort of follow-up three days out. Because people do tend to give two to three times more yes. those last three days. Yeah. So I want to switch gears on you. Okay. We're, I, we're running out of time. I want to make sure we get this in. I just, let me just add that 30% of the annual giving funding from donors comes in the month of December. So December is what you've got to plan for. Mm -hmm. One thing that no one has ever had to plan for is information about the CARES Act. Can you tell us about some of this? What's Why is that so important? Uh, the CARES Act has now put back into play that donors can uh, apply up to $300 on their tax return for tax credits for the funding that they've given to a nonprofit organization. And they haven't had that before. And that's only for 2020. And that's only for 2020. It will not be there for 2021. So you have to give and deduct that before, you know, midnight on December 31st. That's exactly right. Okay, so that's that's a big deal. That's, that's 300 bucks. Yes. That you can pretty much give to one organization or as many as you want. As long as you have the documentation, up to $300 mm -hmm. can up to be $300. done. Yeah. That's wonderful. So. So, so tell your donors about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Put that in your PS. Put that in a um, put that at the bottom of your emails when you in your signature line potentially. You know, make it stand out and not just in a paragraph somewhere, but make it stand out so that people know. And give them a link for them to if you're doing it via email, uh, hyperlink to an article about the CARES Act and. So they can do some research on their own if they they, they don't already know about it. Uh, I've got one more thing I want to make sure people are aware of. And that is, I, while I was getting ready for this podcast, a San Francisco Foundation does on, on their website. They line out all the important year-end giving deadlines. Right. That's extremely important. And you need to give this to, if, if it's not just you and, and your nonprofit, you need to give it to all of your staff on like a little sheet of paper that they can, you know, duct tape to their laptop. Not duct tape, probably duct tape's too much. Yeah, scotch tape. Scotch tape would <laughs> probably be just fine. Or put it on a sticky note. And then also share these this information with your board members. So if they get asked, when can I, when's the last day I can uh, initiate a gift of securities or wire transfer to your organization. You know, recommend a date to initiate an, R, an IRA charitable rollover. And remember, everybody has, and everybody always asks this question, when is the final date for a charitable contribution to be tax deductible for 2020? December 31st. Right. So, so these are all 
dates that help people think about two things, when they need to start initiating this with their uh, their wealth advisor or their banker or whatever. Their attorney. But also different ways they can give to the organization. Exactly. It's not just a check or um, a swipe of the credit card, but there's other ways to give instead of just straight, straight crash, right? Exactly. And I'm surprised, Liz, that you didn't mention this because this is one of your favorites. Uh, fundraising is a team sport. Yes, it is. So as you develop the plan, if you have someone in your organization who is also responsible for public relations and marketing or who manages a, a calendar of activities for your volunteers, all of these decisions about how you're going to go about doing this end-of-the-year ask should be shared with them so that as they have media opportunities, as they have pipelines that they can put this information in for the organization, a newsletter is going to come out in December, it's going to come out at the end of November, whenever, that your calendar of giving is, is provided there so that everybody within your organization gets touched by the advanced information before they actually receive the email ask or the letter ask that you're going to be sending. Yeah. I think that's a it's a great, easy way to inform and also remind folks of different ways they can they can give exactly. and and reach outreach to other folks that may not be so difficult for a donor or a board member who doesn't like to ask for money, for example. Exactly, right? exactly. So um, as we wrap up the show, normally we do one common questions. Since you've been on the show before, I didn't think we needed to go through that again, but I was able, to go on Facebook, if you're not on and you're a fundraising professional or communications professional in the nonprofit sector and you haven't joined some sort of Facebook group around that, I would urge you to do that right now because there's a lot of great questions that are asked and one really good different perspectives on how to uh, approach those questions. And so I asked them, you know, if they still had questions regarding year-end giving, and I got some really interesting questions, so I want to share with those those with you right now and see how you would respond. You ready? Yeah, here okay. we go. Should I use a direct mail company to help me get my letters out? I, I think if you have the funding for it, given what has to be done and the time that you have to do it in, it would be very helpful. Uh, that is, as, as we all know, that is a very complicated approach to asking each each word, its placement of the word on the paper, uh, and how you approach the donor in that personal ask through a letter, plus all the envelopes as Liz went through earlier, I would bring on someone that can help if you have the funds to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. I agree with that. And we typically like to use nonprofits yes. that can that provide those services. So it's not only are we supporting our local economy that way, but we're also supporting the nonprofit sector, and they do a beautiful job. Uh, is it normal for a direct mail company to charge to remove donors? We have not found, uh, we, in working in different cities, not just Louisville, but in other places around the country and, and the state, uh, we have not found that to be the case, that they, that nonprofit uh, mail houses charge extra for removing duplicates or donors that no longer reside at the address mm -hmm. given, et cetera. We have not found that to be the case, but... yeah. Even with the for-profit mail, mail houses that I've used for different projects, I don't, this was an exorbitant amount. The person on the Facebook group went on to say it was like $300 to remove one wow. donor. And it just wow. doesn't <laughs> seem to make a lot of sense. <laughs> no. uh, I guess I don't want not-profit business. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
Uh, the last question I have before we wrap up, um, using a template. Is it, is it normal for people to use a template for, for end of the year asking? And I, I think what this person meant was for letter writing. I think so. I think people use a template. And I think they, they uh, that's why I'm kind of enamored of this whole idea of being able to use the email as a delivery system because you can have great flexibility to, with that, lots more than you can have with letters. Because it just takes, it takes so much time to put that letter process together to get it in the mail. Whereas if you develop the template, then you can change the direction to who it's going to go and the purpose for which you are asking could be very flexible in those emails. Yeah. I think a template with a paragraph that could be removed depending on the, the segment that yeah. you're talking to. Yeah. So yeah. if you're talking to donors who haven't given in a year, so maybe they gave last time in 2018, you're probably not going to say the same thing to the donor that gave last year at your beautiful gala event that was in person because that was the before days. Yeah. So yes, absolutely use a template, but also make it versatile so that you can customize it a little bit for each segmented group, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, too, the, the, the letter you want to pay the closest attention to, not that all of them are not important, but to your major gift donors, you want to be very careful about uh, making sure that all the information that you put in the letter in terms of their participation with the organization, the, the giving that's happened in the past, that it's all right on target with each one of them as you send those things out. I just want to thank you again for being here with us. If you listened to last two weeks ago podcast, I uh, had a little hiccup with my uh, laptop being stolen. And so I'm still working on in the coming weeks podcast, but I so thank you for being here today, Susan. If you have further questions for Susan or I, you can definitely email us or find us on Facebook, find us on LinkedIn, Find us, uh, you can call, call us, and we're happy to talk more about your year-end giving plan and strategies. Thanks again, Susan, for being here. You're welcome. Thank you, listeners, and may you have a blessed holiday. Yes, ho happy holidays. This has been Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack. Thanks for listening. Small Shop Fundraising is brought to you by Griffin Fundraising and Marketing. Sign up for their newsletter, The Resource Report, on their website at www.gfmky.com. That's gfmky.com.